Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. But today I'm going to do a standalone message and we've been looking at uh, the life of David and Saul over the last several weeks and we're going to continue in the life of David today. It's been really exciting for me uh, just to kind of navigate uh, over the last, I think, about six or seven weeks. And, um, but, but today's message, I, I think, is really going to help us to prep for the new year. How many of you guys know if you wait till the new year to prep, um, it's already too late? Uh, we want to get a plan before the new year hits uh, so that we can hit the ground running um, with a full uh, focus on God and, and purpose in our hearts. And so I, I've entitled the message today, An Inside Job, An Inside Job. Look at your neighbor and say, An Inside Job. Look at your second choice and say, I'm so glad you're here today. And then just shout, wake up. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, as we dive into your word, Lord, I just pray for an outpouring of your spirit's power in this place. God, I pray you'd open up our hearts and our eyes to see you clearly. I pray you'd encourage us. You'd spur us on today, Lord. I pray you'd examine us today, all the above, and just ask, God, that we would capture your heart as we move into this new year. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, as you guys know, it's been smoky over the last several weeks. How many of you guys have been grateful for fresh air? Oh, my Lord. I, I went out on Thanksgiving, and I just wanted to worship. Like, oh, air, fresh air. It was just, it was so incredible. Uh, but many of you guys know we, we live in Livermore, and it got pretty rough over the last couple of weeks. I mean, I felt like every area was clearing up except ours. And, uh, and so it, it, was, it was really challenging because two of my kids got respiratory infections. And as a parent, you get a little bit paranoid. You don't know, is this coming from the smoke? Is this a virus? Like, what is going on? Is it a combination of both? And uh, on top of everything else, our AC and our heating didn't work, and so we were not able to filter any of our air. And so we started looking for outside solutions. I started calling everywhere, but it was a bit too late. Hey, do you have any air purifiers? No. I felt like Lowe's and Home Depot were just annoyed uh, because I'm sure everybody was calling saying, hey, do you guys have any more filters, any more uh, air purifiers, anything? And everybody's, no, 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 no. And uh, so... We're trying to figure out, man, what in the world do we do? And so a dear friend of ours, um, she gave us this, this idea of doing our own filter. And I, I talked a little bit about it last week. It, it, it was a, a box fan with the filter in front of it. Let me show you what that looks like. Um, so we, we made our own contraption. And you can see how dirty it is because our house was not healthy. It was just not healthy. So much so that I bought five of these. I was that guy that went to Home Depot, bought five fans, bunch of filters, had them running all over the house, trying to get a sense of, of peace and clarity. I mean, I was a little bit over the top, a little bit paranoid, too, to be honest with you. Uh, I got kids. <laughs> That's what we do, right? We're parents. And don't look at me like, really? Um, so paranoid, I got an air tester. An air tester that, text, that, that tests the PM 2.5 particles in the air to determine whether or not the air is healthy or clean. And sure enough, yes, sure enough, our air was completely unhealthy. 
And so we just had to fight this thing out. My kids are sick, and we're trying to figure out a plan. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, all the stuff in the air. Lord, we trust you. I was pleading the blood of the lamb like it was Passover over my door. Lord, let this smoke pass over my house. And um, it, it was just, it was tough. And so the day that it started to clear up, I think it was Wednesday, I just had this thought. I thought, I wonder if my AC filters, what if I change those and I change the thermostat, that my air conditioning would work? And I looked up at the air intakes. It's what absorbs all of the air to filter it through your house. And, I, and they would look pretty dusty. So I said, well, I'm going to give it a shot. So I take out the filters. And I'm, I'm on my way to Home Depot to buy a new thermostat, and I, I end up talking to Phil, and Phil's uh, our team lead for our sound and media. He also works in the field of restoration and construction. And I said, hey, man, I, I'm thinking about replacing this thermostat and these filters. He said, well, why don't you just try the filters first? Because on an AC unit, if the filters are clogged, it'll shut down the whole unit. I said, really? I said, okay, so I put the thermostat back, and I went and I found two filters, not at Home Depot, at a supply place for four bucks a piece. Now, mind you, on these box fans, I spent about 250 Four bucks a piece with tax, I paid about $9 out the door. So went home, took down the vents, replaced the filters, moment of truth. Go over to the AC, it turns on. And at that moment, I was so excited, and then I was so mad. <laughs> like, I, we suffered for two weeks, and we could have had fresh air circulating through our entire home. Listen, the box fans are great, but they only do so much, especially we have some tall ceilings, and so all the smoke kind of sits up at the top, and I was like, no way. Listen, the box fans are great if I didn't have a $9 fix, and this was the frustrating part. The frustrating part was I spent all this time looking for an outside solution, not realizing that it was an inside job that needed to happen. And, and I, I think sometimes we're tempted to focus on outward attacks in our life. Attacks from people, uh, attacks from uh, even spiritual warfare and the enemy from the outside, uh, attacks from our job or circumstances or trial or difficulty. And a lot of times the temptation is when attacks are, are, are coming from the outside and when we're facing all of these different circumstances, many times we look for outside solutions to try to, to solve the problem. We, we ask questions like, man, how can I just... How can I get that person to just silence their mouth? How can I fix this? How can I, how can I rearrange this to work? How can I patch that up? How can I brace myself so it doesn't get close? How do I do all of these things on the outside? But here's an interesting truth. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. Is that many times what derails one's life is not outward difficulties but inward dysfunction. Inward dysfunction. I love what Abraham Lincoln said. Look, look what he says. He said this. He said, America will never be destroyed from the outside. However, if we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. Hey, even Abraham Lincoln was saying, hey, listen, I know everybody's worried about outside threats. But if America is going to be destroyed, it's probably going to be an inside job. We're going to lose sight of some things. We're going to lose some of these freedoms that our, our country was built upon and, and self-destruct. And, and so 
You know, I, I started to, to think about this, and, and as I started to navigate through the scriptures, I think Jesus is really in full agreement with this. In fact, look what he says in Mark. Jesus said, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. How you guys doing? Jesus is, is, is saying, listen, a lot of times it's these, these inward dysfunctions that create outside difficulties. I'm not discounting things that happen to us from the outside that are outside of our control. But I'm thinking many times when you look at what is derailing one's life, it's not what's coming from the outside. It's what's happening on the inside. There's an inside job that needs to take place. Because a lot of times we would love to say um, that evil thoughts is because, man, that person cut me off on 580. That's why I have evil thoughts. Jesus is like, no, it's an inside job. When it comes to sexual immorality, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. James says it comes from the lust and the evil desires that are waging at war with inside of us. We're going to begin to pursue these things. Theft. It just looks so pretty. No, that's not the issue. The issue is there's some inward dysfunction that's leading to outside difficulty. And so I'm wondering as we prepare for the new year, if, if we were to focus a little bit more on the inside. I know a lot of us are going to be setting goals on the outside, and that's awesome. But what if we took some inventory internally? Maybe what we need in this new year is not an outward fix, but an inside job. For God to do something on the inside of us that we would never be the same, that we would enter into this new year, that no matter what the outward difficulties may be, that inwardly we would be sound, we would be secure, and we would be stable. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're probably thinking, that's not me. I'm I'm not going to implode. I'm not going to self-destruct. Like, ah, it's, it's me. I've got it under control. I, I, I can deal with life and circumstances. And it's really easy when we, we talk or when we have a message like this or we're talking through a message like this. It's easy to look at this and say, well, I'm not that bad. But you know what's crazy? Is, is the older I get, the more that I realize, and as I've been in ministry as long as I have for over 20 years, I've watched some of the mightiest fall. I've watched some men and women of God implode, self-destruct, ruin their marriage, their career, their, who you would look at and be like, no way. And it's so easy to point the finger at people, isn't it? But one of the things that I've realized is that none of us are exempt. You know, I am one decision away from throwing everything away. One decision. Like nobody plans on derailing their life. And so none of us are exempt. And we've been looking at the life of David. And just to give you a quick little recap um, of last week, if David can derail, so can you and I. Like, like King David, a man after God's own heart, the guy writes songs in the Bible. The guy's led God's people through so many victorious Uh, battles. I mean, the guy is so popular that the, the, the Messiah, the Son of God, would come through his lineage. I mean, I don't know if any of us have that track record, but let's just be honest. If David can derail, so can you and I. And I don't think David ever planned on that as he was worshiping in the hill country. 
I don't think it ever came to his mind that he would find himself acting like the king he said he would never act like. But he found himself in a moment where everything was derailed. And I'm hoping that, that we can learn something from David today as you and I move into this new year. As we begin to contemplate and think over the next four weeks what this year is going to look like for us. And, and it, we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to read you the story, then I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of it. It says, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof on top of the palace. Walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Continue. It says, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba. Get it? She was taking a bath. Bathsheba. The daughter of Eliam and the wife Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to go get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now, from this point forward, like, it becomes a TMZ's dream story. It becomes a, 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 a publicist's nightmare. Because from this point of the story, Bathsheba comes back and she says, hey, Dave, I'm pregnant. You're what? I'm pregnant. So David, I can imagine, as the king was like, okay, all right. It's okay. I'm the king. Got a lot of power and authority. What do kings do? We fix stuff. What do we do as kings? We, we make stuff go away. No problem. I'm going to take care of this. So he calls for her husband, Uriah. Now, it's very important to understand who Uriah is because many people don't know. See, there, there was a time where David was running from King Saul. King Saul was pursuing his life, and some men rallied to David's side, Uriah being one of them. He became one of David's mighty men who risked his life for David to follow and to serve him. So we're not talking about just any man's wife. We're talking about his boy's wife. And so he sends for Uriah, and he, Uriah comes, and there's some little small talk. David's like, hey, how's it going on the battlefield? Hey, how are things going? Hoping that, you know, he's been away from his wife for a while, that he'll go home and sleep with her. But being the man of integrity that Uriah is, he doesn't even go home. He sleeps at the entrance of the palace where the servants sleep. Now, how many of you guys know David at that point? That had to hurt. Like, look at the integrity of this man. David, you raised him up. You taught him to be like that. He said, man, how in the world can I go and sleep with my wife when the ark of God and, and, and his army are living in tents? I can't do it. So David's like, oh, man. Okay, we said stay one more night. So long story short, David calls him to the palace and gets him drunk. Come on. Now David's like, really, David? Gets the guy drunk saying, man, surely now he's going to go. You know, he's a little, little bit out of his wits. He's going to go home and sleep with his wife. He doesn't do it. He goes back and sleeps with the servants. And now David's like, what in the world, bro? Go home. It's not working. So now it ups, he has to up the ante. I wonder what, 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 what's going through David's mind as he writes a letter to Joab, his commanding officer, to put Uriah on the front lines of battle and then to retract as the battle is getting fierce so he dies. And then hands that letter to Joab or to Uriah to go take that to Joab. Uriah was holding his death certificate. Yes, his integrity was so strong he didn't even open it. 
And so sure enough, what happens is Uriah goes on the battlefield. He dies. David's like, whoo, sacrificed Uriah, covered my sin. I'm good. Joab's kind of making a little bit of a ruffle. And David said, hey, Joab, listen, man, people die in battle, bro. Come on. I mean, it happens all the time. And Joab's like, it's no big deal. Come on. Let, let, let's, let's move on. You know, anytime you and I cover up our sin, how many of you guys know God is mindful of that? But he's also so gracious to pursue us in the midst of. And so he sends, uh, he sends uh, 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 a prophet by the name of Nathan to David. And, and Nathan comes very tactful because he's coming to the king, so he has to, you know, play his cards right. And, and Nathan comes to David. He says, hey, Dave, um, can I tell you a story? He said, yeah, there was this rich man and there was this poor guy. And the rich man, he owned cattle and sheep, just a ton of them. And then there was this poor guy. He had one ewe little lamb. And this little lamb, he, he, he took it in as his own. It was a part of his family. It ate from his table. He even cuddled with it. It's all he had. And he said a traveler came to town, and the rich guy wanted to entertain him. And so rather than taking from the wealth of his cattle and sheep, he reached over the fence and took this one guy's you little lamb. And David, look what the Bible says. It says, and David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. How many of you guys know that we are far more aware of other people's sins than we are ours? And far more passionate about other people's sin than we are ours. It says, he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he has stole and for having no pity. And this was according to the law. you got to pay four times the amount. David's like, man, give this guy the full measure of the law. Then Nathan said to David, hey, bro, you're the guy. You're the guy. <laughs> like there's a, lot of, there's a lot of moments where, guys, we want to hear, you're the man. This isn't one of them. <laughs> and you can imagine the weight and the gravity. Eyes opened. What in the world? I've been found out. You see, at the end of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says that the Lord saw what David did and he was displeased. Whenever we try to cover up our sin, whenever we try to, you know, fix things or patch things up in our way, sacrificing whatever we think may be fit for our sin, it, it, it doesn't work so well. But what led to this moment? Like what causes a man after God's own heart to move in such a way? And we're just going to look at, at one particular thing today. I, I don't have time. There's so much I wanted to dive into today. But, but I, I just want to, I want to lean into one particular point today. And, and I believe that as we lean into this, as, as I'm hoping that the Spirit of God would stir something in your heart as we move into this new year. And, and the, the one point that, that I, I want us to, to really grasp in regards to David's life um, before he catapulted into this, this madness if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. The point is this, is that we, we can't be passive with our purpose. We can't be passive with our purpose. Let's read the text one more time. Look what it says. It says, in the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David is king. He's not at war. David sent, he sent out Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. 
They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained. Other translations said that he stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, nothing is coincidence in Scripture, and there's a, a great contrast here in regards to kings go off to war and David stayed home. And so most scholars believe that David put himself in the most vulnerable place to be tempted with this woman for a couple of reasons. Number one, he sent all of his accountability away, and he was by himself, and he stayed behind. He wasn't fulfilling his purpose. He wasn't actively pursuing what God had called him to do as king. Now, some would argue maybe he was a little bit older because we see in 2 Samuel chapter 22 that David's men encouraged him to stay behind because he was weary in battle. He was, he, he was getting a little bit tired. They said, we do not want the light of Israel to be snuffed out. You should stay back. But for, for whatever reason, what, what we do see and what we come to understand is that David remained behind. And he was alone didn't have some of his guys that could actually speak some truth into his life, and he was in a vulnerable position. And normally that's where we take off with the message, but I want to ask a question, why? Why did David stay home? Like if David was, was where he was not supposed to be, why in the world was he there? See, sometimes when you ask why, you can dig a little bit deeper. And I started to think, you know, whenever I'm in a place where I'm not supposed to be, or I'm saying things that I'm not supposed to be saying, or I'm living and operating in a way that's outside of God's call, God's best, and God's plan for my life, it's normally because there is a distance with God in my decisions. Normally it stems from a place where I, I haven't inquired of the Lord. And what's so interesting is we see all throughout the pattern of David's life, whenever he was in trouble, whenever ever David was not where he was supposed to be, or he was doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing, it all always been, came back down to uh, this one reality. It came back down to he had not inquired of the Lord. And so, so, so I, I just wonder that when, when there's distance in our decisions with God, it, there, there's a progression that happens. Distance from God creates a dysfunctional heart, which distracts us from or distorts our purpose. And, and when, I, when I look at the pattern of, of my life, and I look at the pattern of David's, this was always the process. That just a slight distance, not a big distance, just a subtle distance from God in our decision making can lead to dysfunction internally and distract us from our purpose and create an outward mess. And so I'm just wondering if it wasn't so much that David was in uh, the wrong place, but I'm wondering if it was more of an inside job than an outside. And so I, I love what Warren Wearsby said. He, he says it like this. He said, well, let me, let, me say, let me say it like this. When we find ourselves in a place where we're distracted from our purpose, it becomes very dangerous because we, we find ourselves in an idle place. Like when we're not moving in the direction that God has called us to, um, we may be moving, but moving idly. Meaning there's no clear direction, there's no clear purpose. We're, we're even operating outside of, of maybe what God has called us to do. Come on, anybody ever been there before? And, and let me explain idleness. Warren Wearsby says it like this. He says, idleness isn't just the absence of activity, for all of us need regular rest. 
But idleness is also activity to no purpose. And let me tell you why being idle is so dangerous. And I think leads to a lot of dysfunction, leads to sin. Let Let me tell you why. It's because when we're idle, it probably means that we've taken our eyes off of the one who was never idle. The one who wants to take us from faith to faith. And from glory to glory, the one that wants to finish the work that he's begun on the inside of us, uh, the one that has created us with intentionality and purpose in mind, when we start to get our eyes off of him, off of the one who's never idle, it's in that place that we find ourselves idle. But because we were created to worship, we weren't created to be idle, we have to look outside for something else to worship. In other words, I would say it like this. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. That idol leads to idols. That idol leads to idols. I mean, think about this. If I get my eyes off of the one who was never idle, then I have to get my eyes onto something else. Like, imagine this for David. Time on his hands, a lot of energy to burn, and no purpose. That's a recipe for disaster. And I wonder, I just wonder how many of us are in that moment where it may not feel like we have time, but, but we, we, we do have time. It's just not really driven intentionally. And as a result, we, we have this time on our hands, and we have this energy to burn, but there's no specific direction, and so we're just searching trying to figure out purpose. I mean, when Rick Warren wrote his book, The Purpose Driven Life, it was the number one bestseller across from Christian to secular because people are asking the question, man, why am I here? Andy Stanley said that when he uh, interviewed people in their 50s, most of them said, I have had great career. I've done some incredible things. I've raised a great family, but I feel like I've not made a difference in the world. Like, whoa, what? what? Why am I here? Why in the world was I created? And when we're, our eyes are off the one who is never idle, we, we have to look for something else. And normally that leads to idols. Idols of, of let me give you a few examples, of materialism. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, new, a new car. Maybe it's a new house. Maybe it's a boat. Come on, you know they, what they say about a boat owners? Boat owners, they say this. Uh, there's two great days for a boat owner. You guys know what it is? The day you purchase it and the day you sell it. It's like, man, I'm not hating on it if you have a boat. I think that's great. We'll hang out in the summertime. Um, but but there's, there's, there's this, this sense that says, God, you're, you're, you're not enough. I, I got to find something else. I think it leads to sexual sin. Idleness can lead to sexual sin. When you're idle in your marriage, when you're idle uh, in your purity as maybe a, a single person, it's easy to get on Facebook and start stalking old flings. I hear it happen all the time. It's easy to find yourself, you know, in places and clicking on things you shouldn't because you're just, you're, you're idle. You got time and energy to burn with no purpose. Right? I think it leads our, our, our minds astray. And our minds start dwelling and moving in in areas and and thinking about things that we have no business doing. Matter of fact, Proverbs speaks a lot about this. It says, man, if you're so interested in everybody else's business, it's probably because you're lacking purpose. Like, 
You got too much time. I, I think gossip and slander, idleness leads to this because there's this sense of I need, I need to be in the know. And when you tell me something about somebody else, it makes me feel so good. It makes me feel like I have some purpose. Because in all reality, what I'm saying is, God, you loving me and me loving you and worshiping you like I was created for is not enough. And it leads ultimately, I think, to a wasted life where we, we get to the end of the road and we're just like, man, I was busy doing so many things. But I was lacking purpose. And I found myself all over the place, maybe not even bad things, but just things at the end of your life that you're like, man, I, I wish I wouldn't even have done that. See, see what happens is, is when we get our eyes off of the one who was never idle, all of a sudden this this. Something happens in our heart. There's a temptation that takes place, and we become more vulnerable. More vulnerable, Or if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. We become tempted to exchange inside worship for outside wonder. And I think this happens so much, and we just don't even realize it. This is exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. All of a sudden, it was this inward worship with God. The enemy pointed to something on the outside and said, maybe it will be awesome, and he said, surely it will be amazing. Surely God didn't say that. Surely you're not going to die. And she started to wonder. Hmm. And all of a sudden this exchange started to take place. I think for us, being idle is so dangerous, especially in our day, because we have access to wonder uh, right from the palm of our hands. Like we can wonder about the entire world. In some very good ways with our imagination and in some not so good ways. In fact, there was a study that was done. Let me show you the stats. 94 and Android user. Android is a cell phone if you didn't, didn't know that. And, and these, uh, these guys that were this research team, they, they installed a software onto these phones. And, and what they discovered uh, or what they installed was a software that would keep track of every tap, every click, every type, every swipe, everything. And so, so they monitored this for an, entire, for an entire week, and what they found out is the top 10%, the heaviest users, touched their phone or swiped or tapped 5,427 times a day. Now, that's for heavy users. But for us average folks, they said it was about 2,617 times that people touched their device if you multiply that over a year span, you will have touched your phone a couple of million times. We are just like postured in an environment, in a culture just to wonder. And that's great. But when wonder begins to get in the way of your worship, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And that's exactly what happened to David. Like David, he, he was walking out on to the balcony, a great view, I'm sure. And David had the potential in that moment to worship. He's not at battle. He's overlooking the kingdom, allowing just the heart of gratitude to fill him that he's looking at a kingdom that he didn't build. He's leading in such a way that he didn't deserve. Just overwhelmed with the beauty and the majesty and the grace of God on his life. 
I mean, it could have looked like, you know, he's blown away by that. He sees Bathsheba and is like, man, that's my boy's wife. She's out in the open. Hey, guys, man, get this lady to cover up. Wow, God, you're just so amazing. You know, I, I think one of our, our greatest downfalls or one of the greatest gauges to tell whether or not we're idle or not is, is to gauge your gratitude. Because I think when gratitude starts to diminish, all of a sudden, um, we become entitled to certain things. I, I love what, what Calvin said. I shared this with the worship team earlier today. I wasn't sure if I was going to share it, but I am. Calvin had a quote. He said this. He said, the knowledge of self is, in, is, is the knowledge of God is impossible out. Uh, the knowledge of self is impossible without the knowledge of God. And the knowledge of God is impossible without the knowledge of self. And, and what Calvin was saying was, was when we have knowledge of God, it, it puts ourselves in a proper perspective. Like when we begin to see God clearly, we see how much we really don't deserve. Like I was blown away by just the air quality over this last week. Like I was so grateful. I've never been so thankful for air in my entire life. And it was, it was so funny because... I, I got outside on Thanksgiving, and it was just like, yes. Like, I just wanted to worship. I was so grateful. Why? Because a lot of times gratitude has to deal with expectation. I was telling the worship team earlier that if you have this expectation um, that you're going to stay in an awesome hotel and you end up in a horrible hotel, you're not going to have a great day. But if you were expected to have a horrible hotel and you ended up at the Ritz, you're like, yeah, this is awesome. And I say that to say when, when, when we put things in perspective, when we compare our lives to God and realize what we really deserve, we deserve death. But in his abundance of grace, he gives us breath. He gives us life. And that should fuel our heart with gratitude and crush entitlement. But we see David, he moves from a place of gratitude, from a place of entitlement. He begins to exchange his inside worship for outside wonder. He begins to get his gaze off of the one who was never idle and on to Bathsheba. He begins to get his gaze from a place of worship to a place of, I wonder what it would be like. We just had some wine. Just wonder what it would be like. And it devastated his life. Tons of consequences. Not because of an outside attack, but because of an inside job. I'm reminded of the passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah says it this way. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold Water. Let me show you what a cistern looks like. It was a well. And if you have a broken well, it's, it's not going to go well. Are you tracking with me? And I think heaven is, blown, heaven is blown away by that exchange of worship to wonder. Because heaven is like, do you, do you understand what you're doing? And I think we understand what it's like to experience a bad trade. Wouldn't you guys agree? 
I love in Eric Geiger's book, How to Ruin Your Life, he, he gives us this picture of, of the, this young kid whose dad cooks him this filet mignon steak. It's perfect. It's tender. It's just everything is amazing about it. The kid takes one bite and says, I want a Pop-Tart. And we all look like, what is, that's not a good trade. Like if Steph Curry were to be traded from the Golden State, Come on, some of you guys wouldn't even be here because you'd be in mourning. <laughs> but, but imagine if they traded him for a middle school boy who had not even matured yet. I wonder what heaven looks like when we exchange worship of the creator simply just for a wonder of the creation. Now, a broken cistern to us may not feel like it's, it's much may not mean much to us, but in those days, if you had a broken cistern, you would die of thirst. Cistern also means fountain. And I felt like the Lord said, man, we will not be a church that will die of thirst. Because we've exchanged the glory of God for something else. That we will not be a church that will exchange worship simply to wonder. That's not who God has called us to be. And I don't want you entering into this new year dying of thirst. But when you make that great exchange, you will find yourself thirsty and more thirsty and more thirsty. And so, so what do we do? What do we do as we head into this new year? Well, I, I think... Uh, David's prayer in Psalm 139 paints a great picture. Now, you thought this was going to be like, all right, set some goals, let's go. Like, we are. But sometimes we got to do an inside job before we get an outward result. I'm, I so wish I would have took the time and did the inside job. It would have saved me time, money, stress, headache if I just would have took the time to work on the inside. On the inside. And so look what, look what David said. He says it like this. And the worship team, you guys can come up. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You know, one of God's greatest gifts to David in this whole story is Nathan. Nathan was God's grace to David. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He says that God loves us so much, he doesn't allow us to sin successfully. And Nathan was one of the greatest gifts. From God, because he said, hey, Dave, there's something happening on the inside. Now, Midas, can I, can, I, can I make a shameless plug here? Now, notice how David sinned in isolation, but he repented in community. And so, listen, if you're not in a group, you need to get some people around you. Listen, we need people to be Nathans, and we also need Nathans in our life. And maybe God is calling you. Maybe there's a purpose on your life to be a Nathan. And Nathan does it in such a gracious way. He doesn't come to say, you're a murderer. He says, hey, man, let me paint a picture for you. I want to help you realize some things. But I want you to know that, that God is after you. It wasn't this condemning blow. It was a draw back to his senses to say, hey, Dave, you need to take a look on the inside. And the story goes, David repents. And God forgives him. How? Because there was going to come a king who was far greater than David down the line, and his name is Jesus. You see, the sacrifice of Uriah, it didn't work. 
(laughs) Uriah didn't know, and it was unwilling. But Christ came, and he completely knew what he was doing. And he was willing to let everything go. I mean, think about this for a moment. He was willing to absorb what he hated so that you and I could be close. And so that we would understand why we were made and what we were created for. Can I just tell you, your first purpose in life is to be loved by God and to love him. You were created to worship. So many times I think we're identified by what we do. And that's just not the case. We're identified by who we belong to first. And out of that flows what we're called to do. Are you tracking with me on that? But he absorbed what he hated in order to be close to us. Let let me just paint one last picture for you. You ever see these spinning pumpkin things at carnivals? Can I just tell you, in, in my old age, I hate spinning. I just, I can't do it anymore. I've even tried to ride roller coasters, and I'm like, I'm noxious, right? I, and I love roller coasters, but I hate spinning. And guess what? On, 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 on this last uh, month at Deloso Farms, my girls, they want to get on this thing. And Jackie looked at me. She says, you don't have to do it. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. Why? Because I want to be close to them. I'm going to embrace what I hate that I might be able to be close to them. And so I'm just like, oh, gosh. And I got to suffer for like 20 minutes afterwards just to get my equilibrium sound again. But can we just get back to that place? Maybe you've never experienced that before. Because it's only in that place of being close to God that true purpose flows. And, And when you're in that place, then you could tap into something practical like this. When you're close to God, pay attention to what stirs your heart. I love, this is a quote from Andy Stanley. He says, purpose is often found at the intersection of, broken, of a broken heart, opportunity, and skill. But it starts with being close. So what am I saying? I'm saying get a plan for this year to be close to God. Don't be passive with your purpose. Are you idle? How's your gratitude? Because just this one thing affects so many other aspects of your life. I don't want to be an idle dad. I don't want to be an idle husband. I don't want to be an idle pastor. I don't want to be idle because I serve the God who never sleeps and never slumbers. The God that's always on the move. That doesn't mean we're running ourselves ragged. Like I said, rest is appropriate. But activity with no purpose is not acceptable. Even if it's activity to replenish your soul, that's productive not just aimlessly, idly going through another year. Let it not be said of us that in our latter years we look back and say we did nothing meaningful with our life. But we took time and we weren't passive with our purpose.